Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Thursday, December 14th. Today, health writer John Ingold discusses the biggest questions that have come up during this year's open enrollment for insurance. Later, environment writer Michael Booth will talk about RTD making fares cheaper and simpler to set up for what could be a big 2024. Before we begin, a quick message. Support for today's episode comes from Colorado Water Trust, a statewide nonprofit organization working to solve Colorado's water challenges in the faces of climate change and drought. Learn more about how they're restoring water to Colorado's rivers and join the movement at coloradowatertrust.org. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. Often nondescript western state boundaries conceal deep-seated community and institutional differences. A prime example is the historic tension between Colorado and Kansas over water rights along the Arkansas River. Fueled by disputes between Colorado and Kansas over how the water should be allocated led to multiple lawsuits adjudicated by the U.S. Supreme Court in the early 20th century. These lawsuits upheld both states' water laws but emphasized interstate water flow as a necessity. Despite this, challenges in enforcement persisted, influenced by demands from various stakeholders. The construction of the John Martin Reservoir and subsequent negotiations resulted in the Arkansas River Compact, signed on this day in 1948. Nevertheless, continual lawsuits into the 21st century reflect the ongoing complexity and contention surrounding water rights in the American West. Before we continue, the Colorado Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing is raising awareness of the invaluable roles of direct care workers and the direct care workforce in Colorado. Direct care workers play a crucial role in enhancing the lives of individuals requiring assistance due to disability, age, or illness. Learn more about the impact of these workers and how to become one by visiting hcpf.colorado.gov slash direct-care-spotlight. Next, our feature story. Happy Thursday, everybody. Thanks for joining the Temperature Podcast, which we do every week. It is a follow-up to our Wednesday newsletter, The Temperature, which combines some of the reporting we do around the state in both health and in climate, and especially where those two things intersect. Joined by my partner, John Ingold, who writes on the health side of things. And we also wanted to let you know that now that we are a nonprofit, We would love to accept your donations to coloradosun.com. And if you go to coloradosun.com slash donate, you can find our page there. You can also see a picture of me dumping a very surprised looking black-footed ferret into a prairie dog hole in southeastern Colorado. It was part of a reporting about endangered species. Great kind of fun project that your contributions can help fund in the future. So thanks for considering that. How are you doing this week, John? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Very well, thanks. One of the things that we've been doing in the last week, you've been letting people know again about open enrollment for their healthcare needs, both with their employer and also with the exchange and people buying insurance independently. Deadline is December 15th, and we want people to at least make sure that they are covered for next year and in what form they'll be covered and what discounts might be available. You held a forum that attracted uh, both the experts who can tell people what they need to know, and also field questions from the public. What did you find people most confused about or wondering about the most in this year's session? Yeah, so uh, I, I think that it's sort of the, the usual uh, confusion 
which first of all is just trying to understand the basics of insurance. Uh, how does it work? What are the terms? Uh, you know, what sort of things do I need to be considering in terms of uh, costs that will come out of my own pocket? Uh, it's always really good to go over the basics on that. And I know, you know, you think you know insurance. I think I know insurance. I, I cover insurance for a living. And every year during this panel, I end up learning something new about some wrinkle in the insurance system, some way that uh, the advanced premium tax credit subsidies were, you know, something I didn't know before. So it, it's always good to sort of hear the experts talk about these things and, and learn um, just what you you don't know. The other thing, though, is that we talked about uh, how best to choose a plan for you and how you can really dive into the details of your plan and look at the, the sort of fine print to know, okay, does this actually cover what I want it to cover? Does this actually have the medication that I take that I want to continue taking? Does it actually have it in its drug formulary? Where is it in that formulary? How much is it going to cost me at this insurer versus that insurer? So we learned some tips there. We also learned some tips on essentially how to think like an actuary, which is really important when you're deciding, do I go with a plan with a cheaper premium price and has a higher deductible? Or do I go with a plan that has a higher premium price but a lower deductible? How do I know, you know where the math makes the most sense for me? And so we, we learned some tips about uh, how you can estimate your healthcare usage in the coming year, which I know just on a personal level is something I'm terrible at doing. I always like to imagine that we're not going to use healthcare because we are fortunate not to have uh, any chronic conditions in my family or, or ongoing or upcoming procedures. So uh, you know, you always kind of think like, oh, we're not going to use this. And so we can get away with using a, a, a low premium, high deductible plan. And then of course, stuff comes up every year and you need to figure out how to pay for that. So uh, this gave some some really good tips on, on how to work through those things. And as you are mentioning though, things do come up, but also to be realistic, people do sometimes have a sense of what's going to be happening in the next few months, at least. They might know that their doctor is going to recommend to get a colonoscopy sometime in 2024, or they may finally realize they have to do that knee surgery that they've been putting off for a couple of years. That's going to make a difference. And that does make a difference in how high a deductible you should go for and what your coinsurance might be from a hospital stay. So those things are all really important. Yeah, absolutely. The more detail you have on your own expected medical expenses, the more you can just make this a math problem. You know, find the plan that that covers uh, what you want it to cover, has in-network who you want to be in-network, and then uh, just start crunching the numbers about which plan you're going to spend less with. One thing the state expert was adamant about was to never assume that you're not going to get any help or that you won't qualify for a tax credit or that there's really nothing for you on the exchange. You really wanted people to check before they write that idea off as something that could be helpful to them. Yeah, absolutely. So this is if you are if you are somebody who purchases insurance on your own. You don't get it through a job. Uh, so you have to go out in the market and uh, buy your own insurance plan. And the federal government and now the state government as well have subsidies that can help you potentially uh, better afford that coverage. Um, if you are uh, lower income, uh, those subsidies may help you pay your out-of-pocket costs. So it might help you pay your deductible. It might help you pay your co-pays. Um, but you don't have to be all that low income anymore in order to be able to receive subsidies that help you pay your premium. This is something 
that has changed quite a bit uh, over the last few years during the pandemic, the adoption of some new federal rules and policies. And so I, you know, you hear it all the time from from experts who work in this area, people who think, oh, I don't qualify for financial assistance or, oh, I looked, you know, three, four years ago and I didn't qualify for financial assistance. And I just assume that's the status quo of, of my situation now. And they don't realize and haven't gone back to look that, oh, hey, actually, I, I could qualify for assistance. I just need to go and and um, and do the application and, and do the assessment. So if if you want to check on that, go to Connect for Health Colorado. It's connectforhealthco.com, I think. And um, that will have a, a tool that lets you uh, check to see if you're eligible for financial assistance. A health insurance broker uh, can also help you with this. And Connect for Health, which is the, the state insurance exchange, uh, it has um, some assistance networks that can also help. And I, I checked this morning. Uh, you mentioned the deadline that's coming up uh, Friday. Uh, tomorrow is the deadline if you want uh, insurance that starts on January 1 and you're buying it on your own. Uh, you need to make a plan selection by tomorrow. But I did check this morning and uh, there are available appointments at some of these assistance centers. So, you know, even if you you have suddenly woken up and realized that this is the the test you didn't study for in the class you forgot you registered for, uh, there's still time to make it right. And if you want to see the other questions that were asked during the public forum that John did, go to coloradosun.com's YouTube channel and search just under YouTube. You will find the open enrollment event and also the open enrollment event that we did previously for Medicare. Yeah, definitely. And you want to make sure you're looking on the, the live tab for that. It was a, a live streaming event. Great. So, Mike, I wanted to turn to you and let's talk a little bit about uh, RTD, the public uh, transportation system in the Denver metro area. Uh, often much maligned, uh, trying to figure out the best way to provide uh, service to uh, to residents while also remaining financially solvent. And um, they've made some decisions in this area. So why don't you talk about that? Sure. There are some big changes coming up for people who are regular users, and they're hoping that they will be attractive enough and different enough that they might attract some new users to RTD, which is still suffering terribly from what happened in COVID, where the people's commuting patterns were absolutely blown up by COVID, of course, and lockdowns and personal decisions to not want to go into a big office. And so the number of monthly boardings that RTD used to have was more than 9 million a month. And uh metro area, the population of 3 million that they serve that just sprawls all across the front range. And they are now down to even in a good year, a good month, over 6 million. So they're down 3 million boardings per month, which is a huge amount. They are trying to make a comeback along with other state transit agencies with some help from state money that provided free fares in July and August for any agency that wanted to participate. And RTD definitely is the largest transit agency in Colorado and one of the largest in all of the West wanted to participate. So all fares are free on trains and buses in July and August. They did see a nice bump in what was going on with ridership of about 22% over the previous months and previous years, but only about 12% they think was attributed to free fares and the rest was attributed to regular summer growth and some of the extra marketing that they were doing 
um, and some other patterns that were going on. But they saw a 12% bump. But in order to try to extend that into the new year and try to reorient people's relationship to transit or even just thinking about using transit, the big news for January is that they're simplifying and lowering their fares across the board. It's often really difficult for people who are getting on a bus to understand what is my fare for the moment? Am I going off into another region that's going to cost me a lot more? Um, is this the airport train and isn't it a completely different price for that? Am I going to need to do this? Will I have a return trip sometime in the next three hours or do I need a full day pass? And also things are just expensive. So they've decided to lower prices. Used to be that you'd have a difference between uh, standard local fare of $3 for a three-hour pass for local and $5.25 for regional. And that's now going to change to $2.75 for all fares in that three-hour window, whether it's local or regional. And so that makes it a much simpler ask for everybody. They're lowering the price of monthly passes sharply in order to try to get people to become regular users. That's now going to be only $88, whereas before a monthly pass could cost you $114 or even $200 for a regional pass. Airport price will come down a little bit um, from $10 to about, uh, I'm sorry, from $10.50 down to about $10. And they're hoping that what this will do is make it just a much easier experience, more equitable experience for people who have to travel across more than one RTD region in order to get to their job or to school and really change their habits and become regular users. They feel like their on-time performance is better than it was just before COVID when there were a lot of complaints about not having enough drivers and not uh, routes just being canceled and trips being canceled all over the place. So they hope that they are more ready to face uh, kind of a new public interest in starting in January. So that's one of the interesting things, what you just mentioned is that, okay, it's great to to lower prices, to, to reform your fare structure, but price is not necessarily the biggest challenge RTD faces in attracting riders, right? I was surprised by the answer too. Along with this report that they did on what happened in July and August with the free fares, they also did an extensive survey of their passengers. And what they're finding out really reflects what they knew already from national studies, which is that reliability and frequency are really important to people. And you can, that, you realize that's true when you think about it enough, that people are using it for a daily job or to get to school, something they absolutely need to be at. You've got a shift starting in a hospital. You can't afford for that day's trip to just be canceled because they couldn't find a driver or because a driver got sick or something happened with maintenance. You didn't have a mechanic to fix the bus. You need it to be reliable. Preferably, you need it to come every five or 10 minutes on the busiest routes instead of every half hour so that if you do have to stay over 10 or 15 minutes from work, you can get one soon after that, not wait around in the dark or in the cold. So that is very important to people. Obviously, price is important at some level, but they have found that frequency and reliability is extremely important. And part of this is RTD trying to get ready for what will be coming sometime in 2024 that Governor Jared Polis is pushing for, which is he wants a front range train that goes all the way from Pueblo through Colorado Springs up to Denver, take a left over to Boulder and fill in that part of RTD's rail gap that has been there for years and has really upset a lot of people in Boulder County, go up to Longmont and then finish up in Fort Collins as a multiple daily commuter train along the front range. And in order to do that, they're going to need a huge amount of federal money. 
And they're also going to need a new infusion of taxpayer money with a public vote on probably a new sales tax that would be dedicated to it. And people are very wary of that because they feel like, well, we raised RTD's portion of the sales tax years ago for fast tracks, and some of the stuff was never built. Boulder County always felt like it got the short end of the stick on that with trains never being finished there. And so you have to present a good picture to people if you're asking them to vote on it again. And RTD wants to be ready, wants to show people that they are reliable, wants to show people that they're doing their best to keep growing and fill trains. We have a great train system that now needs a lot of maintenance or you have to spend money on that. It's now more than 30 years old in some cases. And so they're trying to prep things for what could be a monumental, momentous public vote in the fall of 2024. Well, this is all fascinating. It'll be really interesting to see where it goes. Yep. And we'll keep following that. Our legislative staff will also keep following what goes on with Governor Polis and his advocacy for these trains and also a potential mountain train up into some of the mountain resorts that people are reviving the idea of again. So could be a lot going on with transit in 2024. All right, Mike. Well, I think that'll do it for us today. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, again, as Mike said, if you want to give uh, a, a nice little holiday contribution to us here at the Colorado Sun, you can do so tax deductibly at coloradosun.com slash donate. Uh, otherwise, Mike and I will see you back here next week. So have a good week, everybody. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. Colorado House Speaker Julie McCluskey has removed two members of her Democratic caucus with whom she has clashed from a key committee. Elizabeth Epps of Denver and Bob Marshall from Highlands Ranch have been taken off the House Judiciary Committee. Among other things, McCluskey said Epps did not adhere to decorum during the special session last month when Epps joined pro-Palestinian protesters in the chamber's gallery before shouting during a speech delivered by Republican Representative Ron Weinberg, who was Jewish. In July, Epps and Marshall sued McCluskey and others, alleging pervasive violations of the state's open meetings. A Denver man is facing second-degree murder and manslaughter charges stemming from a road rage incident in May. On Tuesday, police arrested 39-year-old Jeremy Smith, who they believe killed another man at a charging station May 3rd. Video shows the two Tesla drivers arrived at the charging station within seconds of each other, Edgewater police said. 33-year-old Adam Fresquez walked toward Smith's Tesla, and less than one minute later, Fresquez started to stumble. Smith drove away, then called 911 to report he shot a person after he said they pulled a gun on him. Fresquez was shot twice in the back. The Colorado Cattle Industry Association is suing state and federal agencies over the reintroduction of gray wolves just weeks away from the predator's release. The Gunnison County Stock Growers Association and the Colorado Cattlemen's Association say that U.S. Fish and Wildlife failed to adequately review the environmental effects of the plan to reintroduce up to 50 wolves over the next several years. The predator's release in Colorado, voted for in a 2020 ballot measure, has already stirred controversy and sharpened divides between rural and urban residents. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. 
Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow.